Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Monday, December 28th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. We're chat college football, bowl games, and college basketball on today's show. Going to try to split things down the middle or thereabouts if we can, but obviously lots to get to here coming out of the holiday weekend. And I hope everybody enjoyed their holiday weekend, whether they spent it at home with the immediate family or got together with everybody. Hopefully everybody's safe, happy, healthy, and uh, hopefully Santa was good to all of our listeners out there. And of course, if you celebrate any other holidays, Festivus, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, hopefully you enjoyed this holiday season as well. Over at ATS.io, we're taking a look at week 17 of the NFL season opening line report posted over there this morning. You can still check out my college football power ratings article with my lines for the bowl games. Those are not adjusted for opt-outs or anything like that. Just my raw power ratings number from last week before we got an idea, or from two weeks ago, I guess now, whatever it was, uh, before these bowl games started getting played. We can still check those as a guideline here for the rest of the college football bowl season. And we'll be talking about different sportsbook promotions throughout the week over at ATS.io as well. Make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. Direct links available on the ATS app page over at ATS.io. It's a bet tracker, an odd screen, full article integration from the website, stats and odds database, all kinds of great stuff for you to check out. And the opportunity to buy some premium model subscriptions as well, $9.99 a week, $19.99 a month to get those premium picks in the ATS app. So make sure that you download that today. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. And Kyle, how's it going today, man? Pretty well, man. Um, Pretty busy last few days. Obviously, we had a good Christmas. And uh, I, I have to say that I enjoyed it being a white Christmas here. I know that a lot of people aren't big fans of snow, but... It is nice to have some snow around at Christmas time, at least. I guess. It's also nice when your next door neighbor has a snowblower, so you don't have to shovel it. So uh, <laughs> shout out to John. Very much appreciate that. But uh, yeah, man, I, I know your kids, uh, your son's birthday also around the Christmas holiday. So hopefully uh, he enjoyed all of his gifts and everything went well there for you guys. And uh, I think I can confidently say that all of us are looking forward to Friday because it means the end of this wretched 2020 yes. calendar year. Uh, so hopefully everyone, you know, with some safe and responsible plans for Thursday night, whatever you're going to do. And quite possibly that includes watching bowl games as we start talking about some of those here for this week. And, you know, if you listened to our show last Wednesday, now of course doing this on Mondays with Kyle, we did talk about the two Tuesday night bowl games uh, the matchup between Oklahoma State and Miami in the Cheez-It Bowl, Texas and Colorado in the Alamo Bowl. Not a whole lot of new information to report on either one of those games. Uh, totals going up a little bit here for Colorado and Texas. Not a lot of line movement for Oklahoma State and Miami. Any additional thoughts you want to start today's segment off with? Well, I'm going to echo what I said last week on Oklahoma State and Miami. Oklahoma State is the team that I would have rather bet in this spot, but there's no line value at, at what it is right now. Uh, Gundy has uh, been a good bowl coach, 9-4 uh, and four ATS in his last 13 bowl games. Uh, at the same time, Oklahoma State has been really inconsistent this year, and Miami coming off that really bad performance you would think that they might show some heart here. I think that that you know, spot kind of favors Miami in that one. But 
Uh, I don't see any real reason to bet that game. Uh, Colorado and Texas, I had leaned to the under last week, and I want to mention that Texas has had a lot of uh, defensive players opt out that aren't going to play in this game. So I think that's the reason the total keeps going up. And I'm going to stay away from the under in that one because Texas defensively this year was much better, but they're missing quite a few of their top players on defense. Yeah, the the more I've kind of looked at this game, a couple of things have sort of come to the forefront of my mind. The first is now that the line's down to nine, even though I still have this even a little bit lower in my power ratings, the more I'm looking at Texas, simply because you've got a higher scoring expectation in this game with this total going up. And I think if we wind up with a shootout, I trust Sam Ellinger in Texas, even with some opt-outs at wide receiver as well, uh, to put up more points than Colorado. So kind of leaning a little bit towards the Texas side, but you know, much like the rest of the bowl season, I just don't have a, a real burning passion to play either one of these games. I just don't see a whole lot of line value, don't see a whole lot of line equity. And of course, as we talked about last week, both on the segment with Kyle, as well as on the segment with Brad Powers, live betting a good way to approach these bowl games. If you see something with your eyes in the first quarter, it will probably continue throughout most of the game. So live betting, will be probably, in all likelihood, your best option here for these. So with that, we move to Wednesday, and we start with the Dukes-Mayo Bowl, formerly the Belk Bowl, so maybe we get some sort of weird, wild, crazy point spread drama with this one, where Wisconsin, a seven-point favorite, with some extra juice out there in the market, by the way, so maybe we see this one come off of seven and a total down a little bit now in the 51-and-a-half range. Yeah, so Wake Forest here, uh, looking into this game from the beginning, I I wanted to like Wake Forest because I don't think Wisconsin should be laying very many points the way they've been playing lately. But if you look at Wake Forest, they have some key opt-outs. Walker, their running back, opted out a few games ago, and then Boogie Basham, their their, um, defensive end. Uh, definitely their best defensive player. Let's let's be honest. Wake Forest doesn't have very many good defensive players to begin with, and 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 there's their star who has opted out of this game now. I think Wisconsin runs the ball pretty easily here on Wake Forest. So if I'm going to bet something in this game, I think I'd bet the over because I think Wake Forest at the tempo that they play, 51 and a half, a pretty low number here in this game. Uh, all things considered, you know, um, I don't see any kind of weather issues for this game. I think 51 and a half is a little bit too low. Uh, My number here was 53, which is what the opener was. Uh, I think that Wisconsin can score here. Wake Forest, you know, as the the question is, can they score? They do play fast, uh, good quarterback play. Wake Forest has been fortunate throughout the course of the season, and that's one that we've mentioned, especially with their turnover margin. I don't want to lay the points with Wisconsin here, but I can't take Wake Forest, all things considered. So, I'm going to lean to the over here if I had to bet something. Now, we do really like Dave Clawson on this show, really across all of our segments. But for Wisconsin here, Paul Christ, 4-1 and one straight up, 4-1 and one against the spread in bowl games with the Badgers, did not cover in last year's Rose Bowl against Oregon. And also, too, when you think about the teams that Wisconsin has played in bowl games during the Chris tenure, USC, Western Michigan, when they were a top 15 team in the country, Miami twice – and then Oregon. Wake Forest is not really on the talent level of most of those programs. So that is something that concerns me a little bit. Chris tends to have his teams pretty well prepared for the bowl season. And something else here too is that while I don't like Wisconsin's offense a whole lot, I'm not a big fan of Graham Mertz and how he finished up the season. 
They play very slowly. They had the ball for almost 37 minutes a game on average. If they play keep away from Wake Forest and can get, you know, three, three and a half yards in a cloud of dust throughout the game, then that's going to make this one very challenging for Wake Forest where they're going to have to maximize their possessions against a really good defensive team. So I don't really have anything on this game, but just some food for thought, uh, especially in terms of how well Paul Christ has done in the bowl season. You and I do have stronger opinions, though, here on this one. The Cotton Bowl Classic between Florida and Oklahoma down in Arlington, Texas. A little bit of a home field edge, I would say, for the Sooners here in this one. You can still find Oklahoma plus three with a total that has gone up a little bit in that 71 and a half, 72 range. I want to circle back to the other game just for a split second and say that Clawson is two, five, and one against the spread in bowl games as well. So um, that would make you be a little bit hesitant on Wake Forest because Clawson has been very good ATS in the regular season, but not, but not in bowl games. So um, going over to this Florida Oklahoma game, I like Oklahoma plus three here. I know some of the lines two and a half, some of them three uh, minus one fifteen. There are some flat threes. You know, this this is a game where Florida has had their star tight end opt out of this game. To me, Florida is a completely different team, you know, when they have Kyle Pitts in the lineup. This guy is a force. I think he'll be a very good NFL player. Without him, obviously this Florida offense is still very good. Nobody's going to say that Florida isn't going to score points here. But Oklahoma's defense has been a lot better than they've been in previous seasons. Grinch has done a really good job with that team. Uh, with that unit they're 24th in yards per play allowed and they do face good offenses in the uh, in their conference in the big 12 certainly they don't face offenses as good as what they're going to here Florida's a very good offense Florida's going to score points and I will say Oklahoma has been excellent stopping the run pretty good stopping the pass I think Florida will throw for some yards in this game Florida's defense is bad though I mean they're 70th in yards per play allowed And I kept thinking Florida's defense was going to improve all throughout the year. And I guess they did just slightly, but Florida's defense has been bad all throughout the year. Spencer Rattler, I think he's improved somewhat throughout the year. Not as good as I, you know, would have hoped he'd be at this point. Oklahoma, you know, they do have enough playmakers that they should be able to score quite a few points on this Florida team. And if you look at the, the, the line here, you know, three points, you're taking Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma might be a team that would be more motivated for this game, right? Because Florida had a chance to be somewhere better than this. And they, they missed a couple chances there in their last two games. I don't know if Florida gets up for this game. Uh, You know, it's hard to handicap motivation. And we've said that before, but if I were just a handicap motivation and assume, you know, who I think would be more motivated in this game, I would have to think Florida could be the team that's a little bit let down to be in this game where Oklahoma, this is an opportunity for them because they've played some really good teams in the playoffs and in other bowl games uh, in, in the past decade. And they haven't really been very good. I think Oklahoma has a shot here to knock off a top team. And I think Oklahoma comes ready for this game. So I like Oklahoma plus three. I will play devil's advocate here and disagree with you a little bit on the Florida side. I think what we've seen from Dan Mullen this year, the intensity, the the aggression that he's had on the sidelines, and of course, you know, almost getting in that fight in that one game. I do think Florida's motivated here. And I also think too that Kyle Trask individually is highly motivated to try and prop up that draft stock. And I think if you've got a quarterback and a team leader that wants to go out there and really put, you know, his stamp on this season and 
you know, sort of improve his draft stock and his standing a little bit. I get something that could permeate throughout the rest of the roster. That being said, I will agree with you that I like Oklahoma here plus three as well. Oklahoma defensively, as you said, they've gotten much better over the course of the year. And Alex Grinch has done a good job with this team. I don't know if it's just a certain level of buy-in that they didn't have last season or, or whatever the case may be. And as you said, you know, they have not played well in, in their bowl games, in their college football playoff appearances. This would be a good win. I mean, this isn't a playoff win. It's not a semifinal win or anything like that. But it is a clear consensus top 10 team that you know played very well, at least offensively, against a, a very strong Alabama team in the SEC championship game. So I do think Lincoln Riley is in a little bit better of a spot here in the sense that, look, as, as good as Oklahoma has been, as much talent as they get in particular, you know, in terms of the quarterbacks that they've gotten to transfer in there, they can't compete you know, in a lot of ways with an Alabama or a Clemson or even to some degree in Ohio State from a recruiting standpoint. You know, that's why they keep bringing in this rotating carousel of quarterbacks. I don't know how great Spencer Rattler is, but what I do know is that Florida's probably more on Oklahoma's level in that regard. So I think you've got a situation here where things are set up a lot better for Oklahoma than they have been in the past. Maybe their postseason, uh, you know, failures have kind of kept this line sort of where it is. I do think ultimately money comes in on Oklahoma here. I think maybe Florida closes minus one, one and a half, something like that. But uh, this is one where I will have Oklahoma plus three in pocket. And in fact, uh, you know, I I will probably be fine with taking it at minus 115 as well. Yeah, I think that um, you probably don't want to wait if you if you want to bet Oklahoma. I agree with that. I, I will say explosive plays. Both of these teams have gotten a ton of them throughout the course of the season. Florida has 81 plays of 20 yards or more, which is really exceptional. Oklahoma has 61 plays of 20 yards or more. That's why you see the total at what it is. Actually, you know, tempo-wise, Florida's 77th in the country and Oklahoma's 95th. 72 points. I, I want to touch on the total here briefly. This is an extremely high total for two teams that don't really play that fast. And an Oklahoma defense that has certainly improved. However, I, it would be really hard to take the under in this game. I mean, I, you know, I have 70 for my number for this game. I don't think I want any part of this total because I can't bet over 72. Obviously, scoring conditions will be perfect with where this game is going to be played on the fast track. You know, uh, I don't I don't know what to say other than, you know, unless this number goes way up, I guess I could take the under. But I wouldn't want to take the under. And I do like the side here. And if if you've heard me talk before, I really don't like double betting a game, you know, taking the side and total. So I'll agree here that Oklahoma plus three is my look. Well, and again, you know, you're probably not going to hear too many pregame positions from us here on today's show, but Oklahoma is one of them. And again, you know, if you're not as comfortable with it, I certainly understand why live betting, of course, an option, especially in a very high profile game like that in prime time on a Wednesday night, no NFL, mostly just college basketball in the NBA, you know, you're going to watch this game. So live betting will provide some opportunities there. We go from a game with a very high scoring expectation to a game with a very low scoring expectation in the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. This one in Memphis, Tennessee, was supposed to be West Virginia and Tennessee. Now it's West Virginia and Army. Army, who was shut out from going to a bowl game because independents don't have all the bowl tie-ins and all of that. They came out and said, look, we'll play anybody, anywhere. Just give us a game. They've got one here, and they're a seven-point dog 
with a very low total here of 41 and a half against West Virginia. I'm going to start with something that you and I talked about here before uh, we started recording about the total being so low and wondering how bowl low totals have done because, you know, we don't see very many totals set at this number in bowl season. And you kind of think, man, that, that's awfully low. We usually see points in bowl season. If you go back uh, 15 years, the over is 39 and 34 with totals of 45 or lower. But as we were talking here, I just looked at the last 18 games with a total of 45 or lower in bowl season, the over is 14 and four. So, you know, this is, this is something that you could argue about why that is or why it it's, you know, at what it is now. I do think that there have been a lot of opt outs like you and I had said beforehand. And, you know, this is a, it's hard because there's, there's so many games that, you know, in the regular season, these teams play the, you know, 17, 14 type games in, in a conference where a lot of teams run the ball or play very conservatively. And then they play against somebody who plays in a different way in the bowl game. And you can't, you're not going to win unless you score more points than that because somebody else is playing faster or throwing it around. I, I think that it's very hard to bet under this low of a number and you know based on those numbers I would lean toward overs at this having said that I I hate taking army overs so you're not going to see me taking an over with army I do want to mention that uh, Munkin has been eight and three ATS in bowl games that I don't think that surprises either one of us that army's been good in these bowl games you know this is one where uh, you know I like you and I both said beforehand, I would have liked to take uh, West Virginia in this game with Tennessee. Now, now that it's Army and you're laying seven points, I don't think I really like anything about this game. And, you know, laying seven points with a total of 41 is nothing I'm excited to do. At the same time, I'm not sure Army can score much in this game because, you know, we are uh, looking at a spot where you know, is Army going to be able to run on a West Virginia defensive line that is really very good? And I'm trying to look, Is this one's played at Liber- Liberty Bowl Memorial Stadium, is that correct? Yeah, this one's in Memphis, Tennessee. Okay, so it looks like the weather is going to be bad for this game as well. So 41 degrees, 13 miles per hour wind, and 80% rain. So that's definitely something to handicap into this one too. I'll be honest that, you know, I don't think that, it being 40 degrees and rain and, and some wind would help army, even though a lot of people think it would based on them running all the time, because the triple option could be a little bit tricky with, with rain uh, and the forecast. So I don't like betting the over based on that. And I don't know. I mean, this one uh, it's, I guess I would probably, if I had to take a side, I would probably take West Virginia when it gets down to six and a half. I do think this one will probably go down to six and a half, but Uh, I don't see anything about this game that I want to bet, honestly. You know, here's kind of an interesting wrinkle to this one. And in fact, this just crossed my mind. It wasn't even a a talking point that you and I discussed before the show or anything like that. Something that I think is very intriguing here is the matchup for the Army defense. Because their last three games, Air Force, Navy, and Georgia Southern, it played three straight option teams. Now, obviously, West Virginia is not an option team. They're going to try to throw it around with Jared Deggie a little bit. They can run the football to a degree. This is going to be a much more balanced offense than what Army has seen here recently. And even the game prior to Georgia Southern, they played Tulane, where Tulane kind of runs sort of a modified spread option. They do throw it more than they did a few years ago. But 
That's something I think is very interesting for Army here. Furthermore, Army, 128th in the country per Sagarin uh, in strength of schedule. And you look at the teams that they've played in a 9-2 and record, very, very impressive to say the least. Middle Tennessee State was terrible. UL Monroe's a bottom five team in the country. They lost to Cincinnati. They were competitive in that game, so kudos for that. Beat Abilene Christian, the Citadel. UTSA, who of course was very good in that bowl game against Louisiana. They also beat Mercer. Then the three straight wins, Georgia Southern Navy and Air Force with a loss to Tulane prior to that. So while West Virginia is not a great team by any means, this is a step up in class from the majority of the schedule that Army has faced. It's just one of those things where with a low scoring expectation, with probably a limited number of possessions for West Virginia, I cannot get myself to lay seven. I hope this comes down. Maybe I'll play West Virginia minus six or something like that. But, uh, you know, it's just, it, it's a very hard game to handicap, not because you can't find edges or talking points, but simply because you've got an uncomfortably high spread with a low total, a team that, you know, I mean, this game might have, what, seven possessions aside, if that. Yeah. You know, it, it's just a very hard game to handicap just because of the game state, not necessarily because of the matchup. Yeah, I agree. There won't be very many possessions in this game at all. I will say that 67% of the bets so far on Army and a little over 90% of the money is on Army. So I do think this one will go down. If you do like Army, I think you want to take the seven now because I don't think it'll be there very long. All right, so we circle back to the noon kickoff here on Thursday, going by rotation number, as we always do here on the show. Mississippi State and Tulsa in the Armed Forces Bowl, this one in Fort Worth, Texas, where TCU plays. And you've got Tulsa here, a two-and-a-half-point favorite, but the total has dropped significantly on this game, down as low as 46-and-a-half after being in the 50-51 range at open. Yeah, and there's a reason for the total getting bet down so much. It's the weather here. I'm seeing a chance of rain or snow in 33 or 34 degrees in this game, 17 miles per hour winds, uh, about 60% chance of precipitation. So definitely windy and um, suboptimal scoring conditions to be sure. I like Tulsa in this game. I, I think that Mike Leach has shown us enough times that he's not good in bowl games that I don't want any part of taking him. Uh, if, if we look at Leach, he's two and eight. ATS uh, in his last 10 bowl games a lot of those have not been close either so I don't think that Leach is a guy that I want to bet in a bowl game and I think Tulsa should be up for a game like this why wouldn't they want to beat an SEC team Tulsa's been very good all year they played well in that game against Cincinnati this is one of those spots where Tulsa um, you know their defense is much improved from what it has been in previous seasons their offense is inconsistent but Mississippi State's offense has been very inconsistent. I don't think Mississippi State's been very good at all this year. They've had a couple games where they look, you know, fairly good, I guess I would say. But if you look at Mississippi State's offense overall this year, 4.95 yards per play. That's 105th in the country. They're 127th in the country in yards per carry at 2.07. And if it's going to be rainy or snowy with some wind, How's Mississippi State going to throw the ball around like they always do? Um, Tulsa here laying the short number. This is probably my favorite one we're going to talk about today here. I, I like Tulsa minus two and a half a good, a good amount. I can't disagree with anything you said, and, and especially when you consider the fact that, I mean, look, you know, you're Tulsa. You, you don't get many cracks at an SEC team, and, and it doesn't even matter if it's a three and seven SEC team. You know, it, it's, it's beating a power five team from, you know, the best conference in the country. And 
I think that means a lot to Tulsa here. And I also understand why this one came down off of three. Again, you do have possibly some sort of you know talent disparity here with an AAC team and an SEC team. But you know, as you said, Mike Leach has uh, not performed well in bowl games. His teams have had some very inopportune or turnovers at very inopportune you know <laughs> bad times as we've seen uh, over the years. I think back to that New Mexico bowl against Colorado State that uh, oh. I will I will never forget. Don't. Uh, <laughs> obviously, I, from the from the groan that you had, you'll never forget it either. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree with everything you said there in that handicap. And, you know, maybe Mike Leach just doesn't care about bowl games. You know, maybe it's just one of those things that he's more interested in the extra practices. And maybe that's a benefit for Mississippi State as we go forward here. But uh, it is tough to trust guys that have shown repeatedly that they just don't do well in the bowl season. And uh, for Mississippi State, that would be the case here with Mike Leach. Maybe things change now that he's in Stark Vegas. But uh, you, know, you and I both kind of in line there with Tulsa. What about Ball State and San Jose State here? Is this one the Arizona Bowl, the offer pad Arizona Bowl down in Tulsa or in Tucson, excuse me. And uh, we can save some time on this game, I think, because now that this one's up to nine, nine and a half with a total of 64, some line equity has been taken out of this thing. Yeah, you know, this is one of them where um, in 2020, uh, with everything that's going on, it's, it's hard to know what to do with this game because this one opened minus six and a half. Uh, I knew San Jose state was going to get bet up, but I hated to bet anything too much early on because I knew there could be a lot of things change. You know, there, there could be guys opting out or there could be um, COVID problems where a large amount of players aren't eligible for a game. I hated to bet this one early. So I like San Jose state minus six and a half. I still lean San Jose state minus nine, but it's also take, Hard to take them minus nine or nine and a half now uh, when you know that six and a half was available, right? I mean, you know, then the, the line ends seven or the game ends seven or eight or something like that. And you, I mean, you're going to be kicking yourself for quite a while. Ball State, I don't think, is a very good team. The MAC was very weak this year. Uh, I don't want to bet uh, Ball State in this one. I really do believe in what San Jose State has done. Uh, Brennan's a tremendous coach. You have to wonder what kind of job he's going to get, but you know, very deserving of a, a, a big name job at this point. If you look at their two resumes, um, San Jose State is plus 1.96 yards per play so far this year. That's seventh in the country. So it's not been a fluke. If you look at Ball State, they're negative 0.23 yards per play margin. Um, I believe they, they've only lost one game. So it's kind of interesting to be negative 0.23 yards per play. Um, having said that, uh, I guess it's kind of talking me into thinking still that I think San Jose state minus nine or nine and a half is still a decent play at this point. And, um, I'll have a strong lean in that direction. San Jose state is six zero and one ATS this season. It's hard to bet teams like that because the market has gotten so high on them, but I can't bet ball state in this game. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there as well. I mean, ball state plus six and turnover margin through seven games. So maybe that has something to do with the fact that, They've been able to win games despite being on the wrong side of a yards per play margin. And part of that could be as well, you know, they do like to run the football. So maybe the opponent's just throwing it a little bit more on them. Uh, Game state, you know, kind of coming into play too. But now they're up to nine and a half. I mean, look, there's there's, there's just not a whole lot of value, you know, on this game. And you said the yards per play differentials between the two teams. That's something to keep in mind for future bowl seasons where lines are going to move based on that stat alone. It's a very basic in some ways handicapping stat it's very easy for everybody to follow but 
it is a pretty good indicator for a lot of the influential betters that are out there. So if you see a yards per play differential disparity like we have in this game, that line's probably going to move very early on in the process. So next year, when hopefully we don't have COVID to worry about and have a more traditional bowl season, that will be something for you to keep in mind. So let's go to the late game here. Uh, coming up on Thursday night, uh, nothing like ringing in the new year with Arkansas and TCU, a three and seven Arkansas team in Houston to take on the Horn Frogs. And this one has come down a little bit. Arkansas down from five and a half to four, total 57 for this one. Uh, I don't think this is one that you and I have a very strong opinion on. No, I, I don't I don't know what to do with this game. I'd, I'd rather take Arkansas and the points in this one than I would lay points with TCU. As I'm talking here, trying to look at their records, uh, Gary Patterson, 6-7 and seven ATS in his last 13 bowl appearances. So nothing really that stands out here. And obviously we have a new coach at, at Arkansas. And Arkansas has really played well this year. I, I think we're all very impressed with the job that Pittman has done this season. You know, I don't know what to what to think of the fact that the line has moved to where it is. I think the line has moved in the right direction. If I could still take Arkansas plus five and a half, I would consider it, you know, at four or four and a half. I think it's at a pretty fair number. And this one, uh, so far, 60% of the bets are on TCU, but there's a lot more money on Arkansas. So it's clearly a sharp side thus far. So um, there's some influential bettors that like Arkansas. I will agree with that look. I would have leaned under also my number here, 55 and a half, 56 and a half the number now. It did open at 58. So I'm going to lean to the under in this one and lean to Arkansas, but I don't have anything strong. And, and this is one where there is a yards per play disparity where TCU has been better than Arkansas, but the sharp money, as you mentioned, on Arkansas, which implies to me that there's something about this, maybe it's a strength of schedule difference or something like that, where you know there's a reason, there's an angle that people are looking at here, why the money is on Arkansas in this game. And, you know, frankly, I like the coordinators for the Razorbacks. I, I think that's a spot where they do have an advantage here in this game where I think, and I've talked about this in a few different junctures this season, I think Gary Patterson's lost some zip on that fastball. I think the game has kind of passed him by a little bit. You know, he's not the best program in the Mountain West anymore like TCU was up there with Boise State or, you know, somebody like that. Now he's in the Big 12 where he's really having to fight for all of his recruits there in the Lone Star State along with, you know, teams like Ohio State and Alabama and all that poaching from Texas. So I think that's something that's really hurt TCU in a lot of ways. And I credit him for keeping this program very competitive, but I do think that TCU probably over the next few years here, just in general will be a fade team for me. And maybe some other people have that sentiment and maybe we're kind of seeing that play out here uh, with the line movement so far for the Texas bowl. Can I add real quick, you did mention that there could be a strength of schedule difference in this one. Actually, according to Sagarin, Arkansas has the first, number one and strength to schedule um, t- TCU is 45th. So I do think that that is playing a large role in this one. All right, there we go. See, sometimes I'm right. I don't know. I, I guess, I guess you do this show long enough. Maybe you're going to be right from time to time. Yeah. All right. So let's go to Friday here and let's go to a game you and I were talking about before the show. And, and I'm glad that you set me straight on this. I've, I've had a lot of things going on here uh, personally over the last week or so. So trying to keep up on all the news that I can, but something that I did miss and something that, We have seen a little bit of an impact with in the betting line here. 
Cincinnati and Georgia. This is the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl first game of the new year, 12 o'clock Eastern time on Friday. And this one is now popping six and a half at some of the sharper of the global books that are out there, total 50 and a half. And you let me know today that it's probably because Georgia's had some, had some, had several defensive players opt out. Yeah, they've had a lot of guys opt out. It looks like they're going to be without six starters on defense, um, one starter on offense. So Georgia's had a lot of guys opt out of this game, certainly. Um, On several of these games that we're talking about, I will say that I think there will probably be some more opt-outs than what we even know right now. And that's one of the reasons that I'd be hesitant to bet these games very early in the process. I think I'd rather make my bets the the day of the game or the night before or something like that than I would, you know, um, several days ahead of time. And that's not what I usually do. So it's just, you know, a 2020 thing. Um, Georgia is much more talented than is Cincinnati. Even with the opt-outs, I think seven or six and a half, you know, is a fair line for Georgia. It's fair though, to say, you know, what, what's Georgia's motivation level for this game? Because, I mean, you could also say that so many guys opting out means that their motivation level isn't that high. Um, You know, I don't think it's that easy to just uh, broadly say that. Cincinnati, on the other hand, Cincinnati should certainly be up for this game. I mean, they get a chance against an SEC team. I've actually read a couple of people on my timeline on Twitter who have said, you know, Cincinnati, they thought maybe they could be a playoff team and now they, they play in this game instead. I really think that's a bad way to look at this game. If you like Georgia here, I don't think you want to take Georgia because Cincinnati wouldn't be up for this game. I don't know that why they wouldn't be up for an SEC team and Georgia, this would be a huge program win for Cincinnati. So Cincinnati should be up for this game. The question is whether they can beat a team like Georgia. Cincinnati really didn't look very good in that game against Tulsa their last game here and Cincinnati to me an excellent defense but they're not used to facing guys like Georgia and JT Daniels has really been an upgrade for this Georgia offense I think both of us are not terribly surprised that Daniels has been a pretty big upgrade for this offense they're much more explosive than they were you know with all the opt-outs for Georgia and, and the fact that I think Georgia can score in this game, I'm going to lean to the over here, and I'm hoping I can get a 49. This one has kind of crept down a little bit some places in the market. If I get a 49, I might take the over in this game. Cincinnati has a very good defense, but Cincinnati hasn't had to face teams like Georgia. And on the other side, Georgia's defense wasn't as good as they were supposed to be, and now they have a bunch of guys that have opted out. So you would think Cincinnati would be able to score some points here. From a side standpoint, I can't take anything here. Yeah, there's really not a ton that I like about this game. I mean, look, especially now with the opt-outs. You know, I, I talked about this game uh, at a couple of different junctures, you know, here recently. And look, you've got Georgia, who recruits at a very high level. They're an SEC program. They're generally at the top of the East Division. And you have Cincinnati, where Luke Fickle, Marcus Freeman, and everybody involved are doing a phenomenal job. But this is new territory for Cincinnati, stepping up in class, playing one of these New Year's Bowl games, playing a team with the talent level of Georgia. So at that point, I kind of thought, okay, I do like the Bulldogs here in this one, even though my line doesn't necessarily say that. I have it five and a half, but with the game being in Atlanta, probably six and a half, maybe seven. So I'm kind of right there in line with the market. Then you start thinking, okay, Georgia was a different team when JT Daniels took over the offense, right? As you said, a lot more explosive, much better quarterback play than they got from Stetson Bennett. They also played Mississippi State, who's a pretty good defense, and Daniels was kind of a surprise starter almost in that game, threw for 400 yards. 
then faced South Carolina, who's a shit show, and Missouri, who also got very bad at the end of the year, had a lot of you know guys that came down with COVID. They had a bunch of moving parts on defense. And Daniels threw three touchdown passes on 16 completions, but completed under 60% of his passes, had some explosive plays in there, all of that. So how much better was JT Daniels than what they were getting? A good amount. How much do we know about Daniels based on who they played when he was out there? Probably not much. So I, I kind of started looking at Georgia, at Georgia in this game, just expecting that talent mismatch to shine through. Now I'm not so sure, especially with the opt-outs on defense. The only caveat I will say is that Georgia was missing a bunch of guys on defense throughout the year. So they had to rotate yeah. in some underclassmen and backups and all that kind of thing. But uh, I'm, I'm happy to pass on this game when I think there are some other bowl games I like a little bit more. Yeah. Kirby smarts four and one ATS in bowl games. And if this line does drop very much, you know, if you get six and a half or six, I would have to lean toward Georgia based on the talent uh, differential. And, and like you said, they have played some of those younger guys and Georgia's second stringers are pretty talented as well. So I couldn't take Cincinnati in this one, but I, I'd rather pass. All right. So Auburn and Northwestern, this is one that uh, you and I kind of have some, some opinions on here. This is the citrus bowl in Atlanta, Florida, or <laughs> Atlanta, Florida, in Orlando, Florida. Uh, I know it's 2020 and weird things are happening, but as far as I know, Atlanta's not in Florida yet. Uh, you've got Northwestern at three-point favorite here. There are some three-and-a-halves out there in the market as well. Total of 43-and-a-half for this one, and uh, there's a lot to unpack about this game, but it does fit the mold of what we talked about earlier in terms of very low unders in bowl games. Yeah, it does, and um, I – I don't want to take the under in this game because I think this number is a little bit too low. Um, I made this number 45. I'm not excited to bet an over either though. I don't like betting Northwestern overs anytime. So you won't catch me betting the over in this game. I want to like Northwestern here because Auburn's been a really uh, strange spot with, you know, the coaching change certainly. And a lot of times, you know, in these coaching change spots, you can see some flat performances from that, that team but I feel like that's priced into this line, right? So um, I think you're a little bit off of what my number is, but I have Northwestern minus one here. So um, I don't like Northwestern from a line value perspective, but I also don't want to take Auburn. Uh, you're seeing three and a half, a couple threes juiced to minus 115 out there. If this one's three or lower, I lean Northwestern at, at three and a half. I don't have any lean at all, but I have to say in this one, it's really hard to know what you're going to get from Auburn here. And I think Auburn was a pretty big disappointment compared to what they could have been. You know, I do think that you could make an argument that at this point, you know, Bo Nix was, was talked up so much. And then now people think he's so awful that maybe actually he might be undervalued a bit because, you know, I've talked so negatively about Bo Nix, but Northwestern's pass defense is excellent. And I don't think Northwestern, uh, we'll give up very much through the air in this game. The question is whether Auburn can run on them. Uh, obviously, Ohio State ran on them a lot in the last game. And as, as I'm looking at Northwestern stats, Northwestern's now 82nd in yards per carry allowed. Uh, they're first in oppos opposition QBR. So they've been a very good secondary, not great against the run. Can Auburn run on them? I think that's the key question here. Nor Northwestern shouldn't be able to score very many points on anybody the way they, they play on offense. Auburn's defense has been a bit underwhelming this year. They lost a lot from last year. So um, these two teams are pretty even. 
I'm going to lean Northwestern, but no strong, no strong lean, certainly. Low total here, but the only thing I could look at is the under. I mean, I, I don't trust Bo Nix. I, I don't trust Bo Nix to take care of the football. And if he doesn't, Northwestern, I mean, their offense is just, it's not good at all. But they'll just take the air out of the football here. You know, they don't want to get into a pissing match with an SEC team. You know, they just don't want to wind up with one of those situations where they have to go score for score, toe to toe with a team that's more talented than they are. So, you know, if Bo Nix takes care of the football, Auburn should win and cover. If he doesn't, then, you know, it opens the door for Northwestern and that rather pedestrian offense. So, I don't really have anything one way or the other in this game, but I do like the under a little bit and will hope that, you know, people look at this game and say, man, that's a really low total. I'm just going to bet the over. So then maybe it opens up some opportunities for me. All right. So we're going to try to hit these last few bowl games. I want to make sure we still have time to talk a good bit here on college basketball. And of course, we'll be able to talk a lot of college basketball uh, starting next week on the show, but Notre Dame and Alabama, the first semifinal game, the Rose Bowl, which is played in Arlington, Texas this year. Uh, Alabama laying 19 and a half total 65 and a half 66 out there in the market. Uh, This is one that, I mean, look, it's obviously a huge game with playoff implications being a semifinal, but I don't think either one of us is going to have too much to say about it. No, I'm, I, I would find it really hard to bet this game. I I don't want to take Notre Dame even with the 20 points, but I can't lay 20 points because, you know, Bama, if they get ahead in this one, it'd be very, understandable if they got very vanilla and wanted to just get out of this game healthy. Um, So I I don't want to lay a big number given that situation. You know, if this was the title game, I'd be more likely to lay the points with Bama being that they're going to play a game pretty soon after this, uh, as long as they win, which I certainly assume they will. I don't know why Bama would run want to run up the score and, and show their best plays on offense here. So I don't really have any lean on this game, to be honest. And I I know that I'll probably be asked by quite a few people my thoughts on this game because it is, you know, a playoff uh, semifinal game. I I can't bet this game. So I, you know, as far as the total, I'm going to lean to the over just thinking that Bama should be able to score quite a few points, but it's not a line value play. Um, I have 66 on this total. So I'm right about where the market is. Notre Dame, can they score enough? I mean, Bama's defense has not been great. Bama's offense is the best in the country. I I mean, I like you, I don't really have much to say about this one, honestly. No, I mean, I, Alabama first half maybe, but obviously you're paying a premium for that with the big spread and, you know, some of the first halves that Alabama's had uh, so far this season. I mean, look, you know, I think that's kind of the question. You know, can Notre Dame hold Alabama at bay? This is an Alabama team scoring almost 30 points per game in the first half against the Notre Dame team that's outscored the opposition almost 21 to 10 in the first half. Can Notre Dame hang around in the first half is the question for me. So maybe Alabama first half, as you said, probably take a foot off the gas pedal in the second half. Also again, live betting, you know, can Notre Dame keep up? You're probably going to find out pretty quickly. So uh, this is one where I think live betting or maybe derivatives, the way to attack that. The other college football playoff semifinal here, the All-State Sugar Bowl down in New Orleans, Ohio State and Clemson. Rematch, of course, of last year's semifinal game between these two teams. And I do want to throw out at the top that both Kyle and I, Ohio State fans, but we are impartial. We are objective in our analysis of this team here on the show. And Kyle, the, the one thing that I could kind of say here as I start out is that I could be talked into Ohio State plus seven and a half simply because three weeks ago 
this line's probably Clemson minus three and a half. Now, Ohio State had the COVID issues, had, you know, game canceled against Michigan. Uh, you know, tr- uh, Justin Fields looked awful against Northwestern. I understand all of these things, but to me, I feel like with extra time, getting Olave back, not having to throw every third pass to Garrett Wilson, Ohio State should be able to smooth some of these things out in practice. And again, like I said, this line's probably three and a half, just, you know, maybe three weeks ago. Yeah, what's your number in this game? Um, do you know offhand? The interesting thing is I have it seven and a half now. So I have made the necessary adjustments to fall in line with the market and sort of be reflective of what we've seen. But you also wonder if, you know, is there an overreaction to this line? Yeah, I have six and a half in this game. And I feel like, you know, I have to give Sweeney credit. He's been very good in bowl games, uh, 11 and five ATS in the postseason. He always has his team well prepared, it feels like. You know, now in this one, I do think that Ohio State, if they're healthy, and that's a big if here. I know Olave is back at, pra- at practice, and he's their best wide receiver, the guy that Fields really wants to go to. As long as he plays, that really helps the offense a lot. I think Ohio State can score in this game against Clemson. The question is, can Ohio State stop Clemson? Because Ohio State's defense has been pretty weak, especially against the pass. You know, the secondary has been very strong in the past, and this year they have not been very good. So, you know, Ohio State's defense is a big question mark to me. But at the same time, it's really hard to lay more than seven points with Clemson here because Ohio State should be supremely motivated for this game. Not saying that Clemson won't be motivated for this, but Ohio State gets a chance at a rematch in a game where, you know, I think even non-Buckeye fans would say that Ohio State um, did not get a favorable you know, whistle or uh, favorable calls from the uh, officials in last year's game. And Clemson, you know, Clemson's a very good team, but Clemson laying seven and a half points against a team with this much talent in Ohio State before the season, these teams would have been power rated almost exactly the same. And now it's seven and a half. I know Ohio State hasn't played as well as a lot of people would think. They are three and three ATS. You know, I think seven and a half is quite a few points. It's hard to get to that. Ohio State would be the only way I look at this. I'm not going to bet this game. I don't want to bet this game. Um, I lean to the over here. I think that it's more likely that these two teams trade scores than it is that it's a low scoring game. I do think if you're Ohio State, though, that why wouldn't you want to run the football a lot in this game? So I don't know how Clemson will do with stopping the run, but especially the way Trey Sermon looked last game, I think Ohio state would prefer this game to not be really high scoring because I think Ohio state would rather play keep away in this game. Yeah. I think one of the best developments here for Ohio state while the Northwestern game wasn't awesome was that they finally realized we need to feed Trey Sermon. I mean, master Teague is just, Look, he's a bruising back. I think he's a great short yardage back if you're in that situation. But the dude runs like he has an anchor attached to his ball sack. I mean, he just, he's slow. He's no J.K. Dobbins, that's for damn sure. But Trey Sermon has that burst, has that quickness, has what we would expect from an Ohio State running back. So that's something I think does benefit the Buckeyes here. Also, too, look, take away the fumble that wasn't, because that that was a, a fumble. Take away the targeting call that, was a targeting call it was a very unfortunate circumstance with Lawrence kind of lowering a little bit and all that against Sean Wade they're a Justin Fields miscommunication from winning that game because that guy was open in the end zone and Fields thought he was going to break the other way he the wide receiver went one way Fields threw it the other way that guy was open in the end zone for six would have given the Buckeyes the win so they were right there and 
to me, and, and look, fine, Scarlet and Gray, whatever. But to me, Dabo and his arguments against Ohio State lead me to believe he does not want to play this team again. Because last year's game was every bit of a coin flip when it was all said and done. I don't think he wants to play Ohio State again. Now, of course, he has to. And his team will be ready, and Trevor Lawrence will be ready to pick apart what is a pretty lackluster Ohio State secondary. But and like you said, I, I think this one could very well go score for score. I think there could be points in this game. We saw Clemson's defense look vulnerable early on in the year before they kind of buckled down. They got Skalski back and some of their other guys. But I think Ohio State can move it on them. I think the over is a good way to look in this game. Uh, and like I said, I mean, just purely from a line value standpoint, because I don't think there's anything that has really changed to separate these teams by seven points over the course of the season. Ohio State plus seven and a half would be the lean or a pool play or something like that. But uh, this is probably not a game uh, that I'll have side action on. Maybe the total. Uh, and of course, you know, I'll, obviously I'll be watching it. So maybe some live betting opportunities with that. I want to make sure we get to the college basketball side. We spent a lot more time on college football than I thought. Anything on the January 2nd bowl games, Kentucky, NC State, Ole Miss, Indiana, Oregon, Iowa State, North Carolina, Texas A&M, anything you're looking at in those? You know, uh, Mississippi and Indiana is the one game that I'm looking at in, in those. I think I lean Mississippi plus seven if I can get seven, and it it is pretty much six and a half with extra juice on Indiana. I think um, there are several places where you can get a seven already. Um, I think seven will probably be available at some point here. So Indiana laying seven points with a backup quarterback. Indiana's a good team. Indiana's not a really good team, though. And Mississippi has an offense like Indiana hasn't seen outside of Ohio State, and Ohio State moved the ball really well. Obviously, Mississippi's defense is bad, and I would think Indiana would score quite a few points here, too. And my other lean in this game is the over. I have 69 for my total in this one, and I think that Mississippi and Indiana at 66.5, a pretty decent look to the over. I mean, I know that you know they have a backup quarterback, and Indiana – could be a little bit more conservative than they would have been in the past based on having a backup quarterback. But I feel like Indiana can't be extremely conservative in this one because I'm pretty sure Mississippi's going to score. So Indiana's going to need to score as well. Um, I like Mississippi some here and I like the over the other games. I don't really like too much anyway. So those are my, my strongest leans from any of those games. We will go more in depth on this on the uh, January 2nd games with Brad Powers later on in the week. But yeah, I agree with you in terms of Ole Miss. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm concerned about Elijah Moore and, and, you know, Ole Miss's offense. I mean, that guy is the superior playmaker on that roster. Very, very good football player. Uh, He should be a quality one at the next level here. But just so much more explosiveness from Ole Miss offensively and from Matt Corral specifically. I don't know if we get that from Indiana, if we get that from Tuttle. So, you know, I, I do like Old Miss in that game. My number's five and a half in that one. Uh, that would be the game I would look at there on January 2nd. Make sure you tune in on Thursday to hear some more bowl thoughts uh, from Brad Powers. But with that, we transition over to the college basketball side of things where you know, a lot of teams taking that holiday break, not really playing a whole lot last week. Some teams won't play until after the new year. But a lot of different talking points to discuss here today. And the first one that I want to talk about, one that you and I started discussing here a little bit before the show we're seeing a lot of back-to-backs in conference play now. We've got some in the Missouri Valley today. We've got some out in the Big West. We've got several in the American America East Conference, some in the MAAC. These back-to-backs have been very interesting because 
we haven't seen the odds makers adjust too much to the opening number based on the results of the first game. Yeah, these are really interesting spots because outside of the Ivy League, we usually never see any kind of back-to-back days that you're playing. And you certainly don't play the same team you did on back-to-back in any of these conferences normally. So, you know, this is a really interesting situation that we're not accustomed to seeing. And for a while, we saw the odds makers go ahead and put out a number for both days' games. You know, the day of the first game, there would be a number out for the second day, which, you know, I was kind of hoping that would continue. It hasn't continued here. And I I don't blame the odds makers for waiting and putting the line up the next morning after the first game is done. But like you said, they're not really adjusting too much. And to be fair, you know, we've said this in the past and it's very true. If you want to know what kind of number the odds makers are going to put out, you basically just look at Ken Pomeroy and it's almost always very close to that. So, um, you know, if Ken Pomeroy has adjusted in a big way, then, the odds makers probably will too. And if Ken Palm's numbers haven't adjusted very much, they probably won't. Um, you know, as far as side, I think that we should be careful to to pay attention to why that game was what it was in the first game, right? I mean, not just what the final score was. How did a team shoot? Did they do something that they normally don't? You know, if they made 12 threes out of 20 attempts and they usually can't shoot threes and they won big, well, they probably, you know, uh, it would make sense not to adjust the line very much because, you know, they, they did something out of the ordinary. On the other hand, if these two teams kind of did what they normally do and one team still won by margin and the odds makers didn't adjust, then I would think that, you know, I'm not scared to play that same team in the second game. I know some people are going to take a look at this and want to do the zigzag theory like they do in the NBA playoffs, things like that. One team covers the first game. You take the other team automatically in the next game. I think that you want to look at it on a case-by-case basis because I don't think you just blindly want to take the other team. If that one team has a situational um, or matchup advantage is what I'm trying to say, a matchup advantage to where, you know, maybe they're, they're good in transition and the other team's bad transition defense wise. Maybe they can take advantage of that. If they did that in the game before, I don't want to bet the other team in the next game because you know, they've already proven that they match up well against them. So we want to see whether it looks like it's something they can um, duplicate again or whether it looks like something that, you know, could be a fluke in that first game. Well, and what typically seems to happen here is, is it feels like if the favorite wins and covers and the line moved on the favorite, maybe the opener for the next day has adjusted a point, a point and a half, something like that. If money came in against the team that won and covered, then the line opens pretty much where it settled or where it was the day before. So we're only seeing half point to full point moves in a lot of cases here. And there are some things I think we can look at. Like you said, you know, how did a team shoot? For example, Air Force in Nevada played one of these home uh, back-to-backs here with Air Force on the road at Nevada. It was the second game, but Nevada was two for 24 from three in the second game, lost by a couple of points. The game prior to that, they won by 17. So it was the second game, but it illustrates this idea of if something weird happens in the first game, it's an early game, but NJIT and Vermont is one that's kind of on my radar here for Monday, just to sort of illustrate, you know, some of what we're talking about here, where Vermont was a 10, 10 and a half point favorite. They covered the number yesterday, one by 14. A little bit of money came in on NJIT. It opened 11 and a half, came down some. Vermont wins, covers. But money came in on the underdog. So the line just opened right back where it was at 11 and a half. 
And to me, I look at this and I say, okay, Vermont was up by 19 points at halftime. So maybe they kind of put it in cruise control in the second half. Maybe NJIT made some adjustments. You'd have to go into the play-by-play and kind of look at that. But when I see a team that scored 52 points in the first half and led by 19, I think that line should be higher, even though the market liked the other side. So I think you can find some of these angles, some of these signs, something in the box score, whatever you want to do. But these back-to-backs will be happening a lot in a lot of these conferences here this year and could lead to some good betting opportunities. Yeah, and specific to that example, Vermont was ahead 41 to 14 with seven minutes till halftime. So, you know, Vermont was way ahead in that game and then obviously let off the gas. NGIT got 36 free throw attempts. So I agree with you. When you see a a, a line like that, I wouldn't want to go with the other side because Vermont just looked very good against them and Vermont should be the much uh, better team. So you know, I think that that's one of those where you would caution the the zigzag theory where you could try to go against what happened in the first game because it looks like, you know, they were just far better. Now, Vermont did make a lot of threes in that game. They were 12 for 23 from three-point range. Steph Smith was five for nine. You know, I, I have to say that I think that, you know, this is a good discussion to have where, you know, sometimes we're going to see games that are outliers. And I think your example of Air Force and Nevada is a great one that if that were the first game of it, it would have been a great betting opportunity in the second game, both maybe to bet an over because um, Nevada shot the ball so poorly and maybe to bet on Nevada. So hopefully we do get some um, rare outlier type games in the first game so that we can bet something in that second matchup. And then something else that's interesting, UC Santa Barbara and UC Irvine, for example, they played yesterday as well. Late game, money came in on UCSB, and they got blown out. So the line opened in the same spot as the opener pretty much the day before. And once again, money coming in on UCSB, getting them bet across zero into the favorite. So that's you know kind of part of the game that we're all playing here. The odds makers will say, okay, well, Money came in on this side, but the line came this way. We're just going to open it the same and see if the money comes in again and see if the money's wrong again. So, you know, it, it's it's so fascinating because, again, as you said, I mean, this is unique to 2020 and the 2020-21 season, and it's going to keep happening in a lot of these conferences. So definitely something to keep your attention on here as we go forward. Something we can talk more about on next week's show as well, especially as we get more data points of these back-to-backs. But couple of injuries that you want to mention here at the top of the talking points for today. Yeah, I wanted to mention A.J. Green for Northern Iowa out for the season. He had hip surgery. I think he was the best player in the Missouri Valley Conference. A huge loss for Northern Iowa. I don't think the market has adjusted enough for what A.J. Green meant to Northern Iowa. Now, they're actually in one of those back-to-back spots here where they played um, Missouri State and lost by 20 points. And now... Northern Iowa is playing them again tonight. I think they're favored by three and a half or four points there. I couldn't take Northern Iowa in that one. Um, I would only look Missouri State. I I do think Missouri State is not nearly as good as they looked in that game. And um, that game was actually closer. And then Missouri State won the last 10 minutes, 25 to eight. So I'm not running to to say that, you know, Missouri State's going to win outright again. However, you know, you, you get a money line price of plus 155 on that one. I do lean pretty strongly to Missouri State, thinking that Northern Iowa is just overvalued in the marketplace still because A.J. Green was a tremendous um, guy who could 
shoot outside. He could also create his own shot. And Northern Iowa doesn't have very many other guys who can create their own shot. A.J. Green took a third of their shots. This is a guy that was all everything to this team. A significant loss. I don't think Northern Iowa has any chance to win the Missouri Valley Conference. And I watch they'll probably go come back and play really well and make me look bad on that. But I, I really don't think that Northern Iowa, who was the favorite in this league, can win the conference without A.J. Green. I think he meant far too much to this team. And I think, too, it's one of those things where in a back-to-back setting, you know, you lose by 20, your star player's out now, you scramble to figure out what you can do as a head coach. And that's probably a team that will be in quite a state of flux here for a little while. So to me, I'd look at tonight's game and say, why should anything be any different? You know, and, and maybe statistically, you could find some outliers that suggest it could. But again, that's a team in a state of transition, a state of flux. And you wonder, you know, what changes from one day to the next? Will some player magically emerge to keep them from getting blown out again? I think it's a pretty fair question to ask. One other injury here out in the Pac-12 that could affect Stanford greatly. So Dejon Davis, leg injury, missed their last game. Uh, The games where he has missed, Stanford has clearly played worse. I think he's a big difference maker for them on both ends of the floor. Zaire Williams and Oscar De Silva are both very good for Stanford. But after those guys, um, Davis is the only really high quality player they have. I don't I don't think their bench is very good. Um, Davis is also a veteran leader for this team. Good two way player. Stanford's a team that I think could be pretty good ATS this year. The Pac-12 is very bad again, and we'll we'll have plenty of chances to um, knock the Pac-12 this season in college basketball. But I think Stanford's a team that is fairly well coached. And I think uh, Williams is a big difference maker as a freshman for Stanford. Davis is key to this team. So I would keep a close eye on his injury as we go forward. Yeah, definitely important to keep an eye on those. We'll have more injuries and and the things that we like to call quick hitters uh, as we go forward here with our college basketball segments. And this, this segment, this show will become handicapping the hardwood next week when we talk almost all college basketball (laughs) with the exception of the national championship game. What about some regression teams you're kind of looking at here where uh, statistically things just don't really line up? So I'm going to start with Incarnate Word. And um, if you've listened to the Us Enough talk college basketball, you, you can't be too surprised that we start with a team that nobody else is going to be talking about. So Incarnate Word shooting 42.1% from three-point range so far this year. They were 29.1% from long range last year. This team is always terrible on defense. Every single year, they're really bad on defense. If the shooting drops, as I expect, I think they're going to lose by margin to quite a few teams. I really think Incarnate Word could be a good fade, and I don't think that they're going to continue to score what they have been. So if totals get high enough, maybe bet an under. But Incarnate Word defense is so bad that I think they're going to lose by large margin to quite a few teams on their schedule. So um Their shooting cannot continue at what it is, but their defense is going to continue to be bad. Well, another team that you're looking for some regression from that's off to a very, very nice start, but you know, this one may even kind of uh, do double duty here, possibly being a little bit of a fade team as well. Yeah. Chattanooga. So free throw defense, you know, quote unquote, free throw defense. We've talked about this a lot before. How can you have played nine games if you're Chattanooga and your opponents have shot 53.8% from the free throw line? It's really baffling to me that they could have played nine games and the opponents have barely made half their free throws. Um, Chattanooga has a short bench, which I think could catch up to them later in the year. And this free throw defense is certainly going to regress. 
really nice 9-0 start, but I think they're likely overvalued at least somewhat now. So um, this is a team that I think is well-coached, but they can't keep winning all these close games because of their free-throw defense. So I think they could be a good fade in the long run. Correct me if I'm wrong. We talked a little bit about UNC Greensboro and some free-throw-related things with them, including how much they're sending the opposition to the free-throw line. Uh, could could be a thing here in the SoCon as we go forward with Chattanooga and Greensboro. Yeah, we did talk about Greensboro. I, I think Greensboro might be a team that uh, could be a bet on team. Chattanooga may be a bet against team. Um, I, it's, it looks like the SoCon has a lot of teams where there's quite a bit of fouling. So I think there will be a lot of free throws there. SoCon is still good. They're not as good as they were a couple years ago. So um, not quite as fun a conference now that East Tennessee State's not as good, but I still think there's some very high quality teams in that conference. And I'm excited to talk about several games in that conference. Uh, the next one I had was Akron, uh, a team that you know pretty well. Um, Akron, the Zips, shooting 67.2% from two-point range. The last couple of years, they were 48.8% and 49.2%. There is no way they're going to shoot 67.2% from two-point range. Nobody's going to shoot that good. Um, Akron's offense is not nearly this good. And I also think Akron's defense is better than they've played so far this year. So I think unders with Akron makes some sense going forward because I think Akron is a quality team. They're not going to keep scoring as many points as they have been, and they also don't play terribly fast. So I think maybe unders could have some value in the Zips game uh, coming up soon. Well, and something else we're trying to keep track of here, I know this was an angle that you talked about on last week's show, regarding teams that have to pause because of COVID tests, contact tracing, all that kind of thing. Uh, Four teams here, three of them out West, that you're keeping an eye on from a COVID standpoint. Yeah, and I'm not going to mention every single team that's on a COVID pause because there are a lot of them, but uh, there are a few that I wanted to bring up quickly. As we go forward, and we're just talking about college basketball, I think we'll be able to talk about more of these, certainly. Um, Villanova, Jay Wright had a positive COVID test, and Villanova's paused for now, so I don't know when they'll play again, but uh, Villanova, a team that I'd I'd rather bet on than against in the long run, but I wouldn't want to bet on them in their first couple games off that pause. Loyola Marymount, a team that is on a COVID pause right now. So don't know how long they'll be out of action, but right now they're paused. Long Beach State, they're supposed to return on uh, the 30th here. So in a couple days, Long Beach State is a team that I would rather fade um, in general, especially early in the season and Long Beach State coming off this COVID pause. So uh, we'll see what kind of line they come out with Long Beach State in their next game. And then Cal State Fullerton ending their quarantine on December 31st. They're actually slated to play on January 1st and January 2nd against UCSB. It's hard for me to imagine that a team could be not doing anything basketball related until 1231 and then the next day play a game and then play back-to-back against UCSB. This is a brutal spot if that happens. And if that's exactly how it goes, then I'll be on UCSB in this one. Yeah, definitely an interesting one. The Big West Conference has had a, a lot of issues with this. I know Cal State Northridge, I think, was supposed to play Fullerton uh, today or yesterday, something like that. They're playing New Mexico State in a non-conference game just to try and get some action, just to try and get some reps. So that is definitely something you want to monitor as we go forward here. We like to look at teams to back and teams to fade as well. And, and sometimes we look at short-term, sometimes we look at long-term. The team you're looking to back, this one's actually a long-term look where you may be on this team a few times here over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I like Bradley. I think Bradley's going to be a good team this year. They have a star player in Elijah Childs. 
Um, regression candidate on three-point defense. I remember you mentioned this game, was it maybe a couple weeks ago? South Dakota State beat um, Bradley by scoring so many from long range. They were 17 for 26 from three-point range. Really skewed uh, Bradley's stats on defense. They are a good defense. Uh, Ken Pomeroy has his team 312th in the nation in luck factor so far this year. So they've been very unfortunate. They lost by one to Xavier and Missouri. They're going to be tough in the MVC. I think this is a team that that is in the running. Um, not the favorite to win the MVC, but they should be good. They're only three and four ATS so far this year. And I think this is a really well-coached team and a team that I'd like to back here in the long term. I'll start with one on the fade side because I want to get your thoughts. I know you send over a lot of notes and uh, I'm certainly not going to argue what you send over as a, as a college basketball junkie and a very solid handicapper in in college hoops. But one that I was kind of looking at here a little bit, sort of wonder if Washington state might be on the fade list now so far they're eight. No, but they've only played two teams in the top 150 per Bart Torvik. That was back in the first three games of the season too. They beat Eastern Washington by three. Oregon State by four. Now they're going to play pretty much exclusively Pac-12 competition going forward, and they played the 293rd ranked schedule so far. I know they're a well-coached team, but is this a team that's just going to kind of run into some tough luck here now that they're playing better teams? Yeah, that was going to be the one caveat I said is I think this is a well-coached team. Uh, Kyle Smith, one of the better coaches in the Pac-12. Having said that, I do agree with you that this team's 8-0 right now. And I think if we circle back and talk about Washington State at, you know, after 18 games or something, I think there's a good chance this team will be like 9-9 and or something. You know, I mean, that, this 8-0 record is very misleading for how how good Washington State is. Their offense is really bad. This is a, a team that has played the 320th ranked uh, slate of defenses, and they still can't shoot. You know, this is a team that has been really bad offensively against some very bad defenses. I think they're going to struggle quite a bit. So I do like this as a possible fade team here going forward. All right. What about the fade team that you had listed here? So Tennessee Martin, um, they're sixth in luck factor, according to Ken Pomeroy. And Martin is a team that is in a really odd spot this year. Um, Their their head coach died right before the season, Anthony Stewart. And um, was it Montez? I'm trying to think. I think it was Montez Robinson is his name. Um, Stepped in as a coach here. And and they're really in a very awkward position. You know, tragic, tragic for their head coach to pass away at such a young age. And now so far this year, they've been very fortunate with how they've played. I don't think that this team's going to be very good in the long run. To me, Tennessee Martin is a, a good look to fade here in the long run. If you look at what they've done so far this year, Martin has, you know, looked like they might be a half decent team when they beat Evansville in double overtime at home. I think they were pretty fortunate to win that game. Then they beat um, Southeast Missouri State on the road. They're a weak team. Then they go and lose by 18 at home to Western Illinois. And I wish they hadn't just lost by almost 50 points to Mississippi or they'd be a better fade at this point. But I do think that Montez Robinson is in a a bad spot here uh, coaching this team that is really, really poor defensively. And so far this year, they've shot 37% from three-point range. And that's the only thing that's keeping them in these games. I don't think they're going to keep shooting it that well based on what they've done in the last couple seasons. So I think Martin is a good long-term fade. So as we look at a few games here for the week ahead, and uh, you know, I know our show has run a little bit long. We've uh, I've been made aware that we're having some audio troubles here. Um, you know, do the best I can with editing the show and all that. 
But there is a game that I wanted to talk about a little bit here. Um, there are two on your side and, well, and a couple on my side that I'm looking at. An interesting one tomorrow night between West Virginia and Northeastern. And you have a West Virginia team that got blown out by Kansas a week ago. They've got Oklahoma and Oklahoma State on deck here later in the week. But now they're playing this random non-conference game as a big favorite on Tuesday. And it, it makes me sort of wonder here, you know, like how invested is a team like like West Virginia to, you know, play well against Northeastern? Yeah, I think this is a bad spot for West Virginia, undoubtedly. Um, Northeastern is not a great team, but they're well coached. And they have actually played a pretty good schedule so far this year. And they've played a really good schedule. They've played Syracuse. Georgia, UMass twice, Old Dominion. They really haven't played a bad team yet. So you could say that they're battle-tested pretty well. They only lost by six to Syracuse. You know, the question is whether they can hold on to the basketball against West Virginia. I I think this line will probably be 16 or so. So I I would lean toward taking a Northeastern plus the points in this one. Certainly, I agree with you that this is a very bad spot. If you look at West Virginia – why would you really be up for this game compared to your next couple after this? Actually, your next four. Big 12 is going to be really good. I think the Big 10 is the best conference in college basketball, and the Big 12 is the second best. But, you know, after this, they're going to play Oklahoma on the road, Oklahoma State on the road, and then Texas at home and Baylor on the road. Those are four really tough games. So if you're ever going to look past somebody, this would be the one. Yeah, it's always interesting to look at those non-conference games that kind of show up sandwiched between conference competition. That is not the case with the first game that you wanted to talk about here. Tennessee and Missouri, obviously a couple of SEC teams here in this one, an SEC network broadcast coming up on Wednesday. Uh, What are you looking at here from this game? So obviously our long-term listeners know that we always like to talk about Rick Barnes. Rick Barnes is not good late in the season. He's very good early in the season. You know, we, we can't count on his teams to win anything once you get to March, but Early in the season, he's been very good ATS, 76 and 48 ATS in his first eight games of the year, going back quite a few seasons, obviously. So he's been really good ATS. And I think that Missouri has been extremely lucky so far this year. I don't think Missouri's near as good as some people think they are at this point. Tennessee is getting very good shots, playing excellent defense. I think Tennessee is one of the best defenses in the country. I really like Tennessee in this spot. If we can get something in the the range, Bart Torvik has a little less than one favored for Tennessee and Ken Palm has minus two. I'm hoping we can get something like one and a half or something on Tennessee. Cause I think Tennessee is just clearly the better team here than is Missouri. So, and this one, possible i'll be playing tennessee in this one this one is going to be one of those where i try not to bet too many sides um especially for premium plays sometimes i bet some of the sides small personally i think i'll bet something at least personally on this game on tennessee not sure if this will be a premium play or not but i do like tennessee in this game i think tennessee is far better than is missouri missouri is overvalued at this point tennessee hasn't played very many games and i think Tennessee is just so good on defense that I'd, I'd want to lay a short number here. Well, stay with that Tennessee theme and, and a game that kind of piqued my interest here on Wednesday in the Ohio Valley Conference, Murray State and Belmont. And I thought this one was interesting because Murray State beat Austin P by 30 earlier in the season. And remember last year in the OVC, it was a three horse race. It was Belmont, Murray State and Austin P. So Murray State blows out Austin P in the first game. Well, last week they lost to Austin P in a game where they were 25 for 30 
from two-point range. They still lost the game by four, three for 17 from three in that one for the Racers. Now the Racers take on Belmont, and this is always you know a marquee matchup here in the OVC. I thought it was pretty interesting that uh, you could tell me what Ken Palm has, but Torvik only has this game around Belmont minus 1.2, and I, I would kind of expect it to be a little bit higher. Yeah, uh, Belmont minus three as Ken Palm. So I think minus three is is probably closer to what the number will be, number one, because they just basically use Ken Palm. But uh, I think minus three is probably closer to what it should be in this one. Murray State, I think that's a fantastic stat on losing despite being 25 for 30 from two-point range. That's hard to do. Um, Tevin Brown was seven for seven from two point range. KJ Williams was five for five from two point range in that game. They did shoot the ball really poorly from three point range and they did turn it over 18 times, which was really their undoing in that one. You know, I think Belmont is a really well coached team. Casey Alexander, I'd much rather bet on him than bet against his team. So in this one, I'd rather look at Belmont than I would Murray state. And I think also, if you look at Murray state, um, we talked about how you can look at Bart Torvik and kind of see how a team's played on the road versus at home. You look at Murray State on the road versus at home, you're going to find a, a two totally different teams. So Murray State on the road, not a team I want to bet. All right, one more game that you had listed here, and uh, yeah, I guess it makes sense, right, that we finish up with the SoCon since we've already talked about them a little bit here on today's show. VMI and Samford, and this is one, um, maybe a premium look ahead for Tennessee, Missouri, but it sounds like maybe one here as well. Yeah, I think this one's even more likely to be a, a premium play. I like VMI and Samford over. Um, Ken Palm has this one as 155. I haven't looked at Torvik on this Same one. Thing. Okay, 155. I think um, that's about what the number will come out at then. And I like the over and that. If you look at how these two teams played last year, VMI and Samford, they played three games against each other last year. Those games were 153, 162, and 174. The possessions in those were 73 possessions, 77 possessions, and 77 possessions. Very fast-paced. Sanford's playing quicker than they were last year by quite a bit. Bucky McMillan um, really playing fast. He said he, that he wants to be one of the very fastest teams in the country. They're eighth in average possession length so far this year. Um, trying to use some full court press and, and playing at extremely fast pace. VMI's defense is not very good. VMI puts up a lot of threes. I know Sanford's been pretty good against threes so far this year, but I think that's who they've played against more than anything else. You know, you play Alabama A&M, Kennesaw State, um, some teams that really can't shoot it well at all. I really think both of these teams score quite a bit in this game. And also this projects as a game that could be very close so you know overtime certainly a possibility Sanford's fouling a lot VMI shooting 81.2 percent from free throw line now I don't think they'll keep shooting that kind of percentage but they should be at the line quite a bit here they're pretty good from the line I see this being a high scoring game so VMI and Sanford here over the total a game that I'll likely be on this week well, I appreciate the patience. I appreciate you sticking it out here through some uh, internet connectivity issues and, and all that that I've had. And I've got a, a pretty extensive edit to do, it sounds like, on today's show. But uh, my thanks, as always, to professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. And Kyle, what's going on over at the website right now, man? So I'm going to run a special here in the next week. Um, anybody that wants a week of my plays, I've had several listeners reach out 
Um, happy to answer questions that you have. I try to always be responsive to everyone. I've had several listeners reach out and ask if, you know, if I have any shorter term packages, they just want, kind of want to see what kind of analysis they'll get on games like that and stuff. So I'm going to do a one week special. Anybody that contacts me and mentions ATS radio here, um, I'll do $100 for a week of plays. It's usually 150. So a special price there. If you want free plays, go over to huntersportspicks.com, sign up for the free picks newsletter. I'll be doing free plays um, for some of the bowl games and NFL season through the end and also be doing some free plays for college basketball throughout the season there's also um, some sharp money numbers trends things like that that I'll be sending out so sign up for that um, at huntersportspicks.com make sure you follow Kyle on Twitter at Kyle Hunter picks as well Kyle appreciate the insight and analysis as always man thank you so much for joining me Uh, happy new year to you and yours and we'll talk to you again after the calendar flips Same to you, man. Look forward to it. Thanks. There you go. There's professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. Make sure you mention ATS Radio. Take advantage of that short-term package offer. Coming up on Tuesday, we'll chat NFL with Brian Blessing. Wednesday, I'm taking the day off. Thursday, Brad Powers. Friday, Week 17 Circa Picks. And then that'll finish out our ATS Radio shows for 2020. I'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.